Well, last week we looked at a very uh, difficult passage. We were talking about the idea of what happens when God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want uh, Him to. And specifically, we looked at uh, a miracle done by Jesus in which He spit on His hands and after He had done so, He touched a man's eyes and the man was able to see partially. Uh, And then he would do it a second time, and the second time, then he would be able to see clearly. And we said, what does that really have to do? Well, we looked at that in Mark, and then a few chapters later, we picked up in uh, chapter 10 and noticed that a very similar miracle was done, but this time it, it only took one time. And so we talked about, well, was this the failing of Jesus? Did, did he not have the ability? What was really going on? Well, what we were trying to see here is that, that the disciples were really struggling with who Jesus was. And we're going to continue on that topic this morning, but rather than looking at a miracle, we're going to see a dialogue between who else but Peter and Jesus, and it is a very awkward, confusing passage. Uh, We find it in several places. We have it here in Matthew chapter 16. It's also in Mark chapter 9. And oddly enough, Luke, in Luke chapter 9, does not include this conversation. So that's something interesting. But before we do anything else, let's spend a moment in prayer, and then we'll, we'll start in Matthew chapter 16. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, I... I have many, many ideas and beliefs of what I think you want done in my life and in Hobbes and throughout the world. And Lord, I, I oftentimes pray that they align uh, with your ideas and your hopes uh, for my life and for Hobbes and for this world. But Lord, they don't oftentimes uh, coincide, they don't always agree And so, Lord, I just pray that that you make each one of us humble enough to recognize that you have a plan for us, uh, and that that when we do um, when we do struggle with seeing what you have for us, that we can just simply trust you. We thank you uh, for always being with us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter sixteen, and several weeks ago we had Peter's confession of who Jesus is, and and you would think Peter's got it, right? Well, we're going to find out today that Peter doesn't have it, completely at least. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 16. As, as I remind you occasionally, if you don't know where Matthew is, open up to the middle, you're in Psalms. Take the second half and split that open and you should be somewhere near Matthew. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to start in verse 21. And I said this is a difficult passage because believe it or not, Jesus is going to turn to one of his followers, one of his apostles, one of the ones that he has chosen, and he calls him a name. You remember the name that he calls him? He says Satan. He says get Behind me, Satan. So what would prompt Jesus to make such an audacious remark? Why would he respond to Peter in the way that he did? 
Well, the reason why he responded to Peter in the way that he did, because he was responding to the way that Peter had responded to something that Jesus said. Peter took aside Jesus. Peter, the student, took aside Jesus, the master, Jesus, the teacher, and not only did he question him, he rebuked him. It says, you can't do this. Stop talking like that. And some of you may have heard similar words like that coming from the mouth of your teenage child. And there have been repercussions along with that. But what prompted Peter to respond in such a way that Jesus would respond in such a way? Well, here we go. Let's read and see what the Bible says about this. Matthew says, starting in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. I just want that to sink in for a second. I think we've, I think, I don't want to say we've read this too many times. But we are so familiar with this thought. That it doesn't really strike us. That Jesus would say, I'm about to die. In fact, I'm going to die a brutal death. It reminds me of something that took place about seven or eight years ago. We were in worship service. Uh, we were singing songs and, and there were prayers. And then uh, it was time for communion. And, and my wife and I were sitting. We were in Sweetwater and Wyatt was a young uh, boy and Lily was even younger. And she had sang a lot of songs about how Jesus loves me and how Jesus loves the little children. But the communion presider, when he was preparing our minds to partake communion, he said, you know, we have to remember that Jesus died. And, and Lily's little ears heard that for the first time. And she couldn't believe it. And in the middle of the communion, she turns and she says, What? Jesus died? She couldn't comprehend that this person who we had been singing to that loves her and loves little children had died. Now, this is a really, really big deal for a lot of, lot of reasons. Jesus is saying, I am going to be handed over to the chief priest and the elders and I am going to die. Jesus was the Messiah. Now, the reason why this is really important to note, and we talked about this a couple weeks ago, is Peter's confession of who Jesus was. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are God's chosen one. You are the one that will save the people. And now Jesus, who he has been following now for years, who his ministry is ramping up, his popularity is ramping up, people are wanting to follow Jesus. In fact, they want to try to take him by force and make him king, because if he's king, then Israel is back where they need to be. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, I'm the king and I'm going to die. 
What? It's crazy. It really is crazy. Can you imagine supporting a politician who has some major changes going on and he's going to fix all that's going on? To say nothing of the fact that this politician also has the ability to heal people and it's now coming up to the point where he's about to become president and everything is in place. He's going to overthrow the evil powers of the Republicans or the Democrats or the Independents. Everything is going to be great. You've been following him. You have been putting all your resources into him. You go and tell your family about him. You put your, uh, his bumper sticker on your car. You go and you're prepared to vote for him. Everything is set. And he gets up there right before his speech where he's going to be inaugurated. He says, oh, by the way... I'm about to die. Now, maybe you're not his campaign manager, but you have a lot at stake here, don't you? I mean, the whole country has a lot at stake here. He's the one that's going to fix everything. He's going to right the wrongs. He's going to thump the Romans. And so you pull him aside and say... That's not really what we want to do here, Jesus. This is a bad idea. We need you to be king. And Jesus says, I am here to be your savior. Not the one who's going to bring political power for you. It's a crazy statement. And this is the statement that Jesus made that really upset Peter. Because he says this, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Now, we're all good little uh, boys and girls and we read our Bible and we know the prophecies of Jesus. We put them together. We know Isaiah chapter 53. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His, what? Wounds, we are healed. This does not talk about political power. One of the most beautiful and Humbling chapters in the Bible is Isaiah 53, which prophesies to the king who would be the lamb. If they didn't know their Old Testament, if he wasn't familiar with Isaiah 53, surely he remembers the words of Jesus' cousin as Jesus was coming up towards him and John the Baptist introduces him by calling him what? Behold the Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world. John didn't fully understand what was going on, but he had an idea. Peter seems to be completely clueless as to what's going on. What is this Lamb of God that John refers to? Well, if you go back in the Old Testament to Leviticus chapter 16, and specifically verse 10, it talks about this scapegoat. 
And later on in this chapter of Leviticus 16, God is going to give some very specific instructions. He says to Moses, he says, okay, here's what you do. Aaron needs to go and he needs to get uh, two lambs. One is going to be slaughtered and sacrificed on the altar. The other one you're going to take and you're going to lay your hands upon him. And I don't want to summarize this. I just want to read this. He says, he says, when Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of the meeting of the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert the scapegoat John welcomes Jesus and he says behold this is the scapegoat this is the one that is chosen that all the sins of all the people will be laid upon its head and then the the goat, the lamb, will be taken out into the desert by a person and then the person will release them out into the desert. Why does the goat go out in the desert? It goes out in the desert to separate the sins of the people from themselves and in the desert the goat will die. For Jesus to say, I am the Messiah, oh, and by the way, I'm going to die for you, this was troubling. This didn't fit into their plan. And Peter said, never. This can't happen. This shall never happen. And then we have Jesus turning to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. Why was Jesus speaking so harshly to Peter? Why didn't he say, oh, Peter, you don't understand? Peter struck a nerve. It really bothered Jesus that Peter would go and try to augment his plans. Jesus says, I'm going to die for the people. I'm the Lamb of God. I'm going to take the sin away. And and Peter says, no, 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 you're not going to do that. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. Those are really strong words. I was about nine years old. My brother was pestering me, as he always did. It was his job. I got mad at him. We were at my grand-grand's house. I turned to him and I called him the devil. My grand-grand heard that. I got the beating of my life. She said, you don't call people the devil. Not your brother. Jesus does it here. Why would Jesus 
be so upset? Why would it strike a nerve? Was this just some kind of rhetoric like, oh, it would be nice if I called him Satan? Or was there something really behind the fact that Peter said, no, this isn't going to happen? Jesus was a human. Jesus knew the plan. But if you don't believe me, read on ahead. Jesus doesn't want to die. Jesus has an inner struggle within himself, recognizing that he has been chosen and he has accepted the role to be the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world, but he is wrestling with this. And you can flip a few chapters ahead and you can read in the garden the struggle that is taking place and he goes off to be alone and he weeps. And he he sweats drops like drops of blood because he is in such agony over this. And one person who has followed him, one person who he loves, and the person who loves him back is now trying to get in the way and say, no, 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 you don't have to do this. And he says, I have to do this. You see, maybe even greater than the temptation of Satan as Jesus began His ministry, was the temptation by a dear friend who says, you don't have to do this. It doesn't have to happen this way. And Jesus has this conflict inside Him that says, I want to save the people, but He recognizes it's a sacrifice. And you say, wait, 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 Jesus never had that problem. He never wrestled with, you know, really wanting to die. He wanted to do this all along. Really? Is it a sacrifice if He wanted to do it? He chose to be the Lamb. He understood the consequences and He was focusing Himself and He was preparing His followers for what would take place. He knew that the way of the cross would lead to God's glory. But he also knew that the cross meant shame, and the cross meant pain, and the cross meant guilt, and the cross meant separation. And so Jesus turns to him. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Did you catch what he just referred to Peter as? And this is why I love the Gospels. I love the way in which God inspired his writers Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the other writers of the New Testament to write in such beautiful ways that have connections to one another. Same chapter, a few verses earlier, Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and, and Jesus says, blessed are you, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed uh, by a man, but by my Father. And I tell you that you are Peter, and upon this, what? Rock, I will build my church. 
just a few verses before, Peter says, you're the Christ. And Jesus says, upon the statement that you made, that is the rock in which the foundation is built upon. A few verses later, Peter blurts out, he says, you can't do this. And Jesus says, oh, that, that same rock? Well, now it's a stumbling block. You're now a stone that's in the way. He says, you have to understand that the way in which I work may not be the way in which God chooses to work. And this is the simple take-home message that I want you all to place in your hearts and mull over this week and to pray about. That God does work in mysterious and ridiculous and sometimes confusing ways. And we have plans for Messiah. And we have plans for King. And we know that this is the way it should happen. But sometimes God says, no, 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 this is not how it's going to happen. I'm not going to remove the cancer. Your son still is going to die. All the problems of the world aren't just fixed. And you say, no, 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 that's not how it happens. Because God, this is how you work. We've all been here, right? You have your stories, I have mine. I know the stories when I told God, this is how a king works. A king doesn't let a baby die when he can save it. That's not how you work. And God says, you have to trust me. This is not about knowing what's right, or guessing what's right, or telling me what to do. It's about having faith in saying, I will follow you. Just this week, I had a young man come into the office. He's in his early 20s. He is struggling with God, with what God wants to do in his life. He has a similar story to Joseph in that he was in college and he had a plan and some things were going great and he moved to an area where he was just kind of getting settled in. says, well, I don't want to be here, but you know what? Things are going to work out. It's like in Potiphar's house, like things are, and then all of a sudden, well, you know what, we can't live in here anymore, you know, the, the job opportunities have dried up and now we're moving again. And so he's, he's sitting in my office and we're talking about this, he says, I just, I, I just want God to tell me what to do. And I looked at him and I said, I am, I am so sorry, but here's what I'm going to tell you, I have no idea what God wants for your life. But this is the great thing about faith. Faith means you don't know and can't see. And you just trust Him. I look around and I see the faces of people that I love and have loved for years. And I know some of the stories and some of the heartbreak that's going on in your life and I hurt for you. And I have my own ideas. 
And I have expressed those ideas in the form of prayers in which God can work in a, a powerful way and remove the hurt and just make everything better. But at the end, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust that His plan, while it may involve a cross not only His Son, but for each one of us, ultimately, we have life everlasting. For those of you who have found yourself in a difficult time and you're questioning, God, what's really going on? This can't be how it works. My prayer is that you'll trust Him. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to just immediately fix everything. But God's still working. He hasn't given up. And He won't. We don't have time this morning, but later on we're going to look at the formula in which He calls us to in order to seek residence in heaven with Him someday. But this morning, just trust. Trust that He knows the plan He has for you. And He loves you. This morning, we're going to stand, and right now I'm going to ask if you would go ahead and stand and prepare to sing a song. But before we do, I want to offer a prayer over each one of us that we may continue to trust in the plan that God has for us. If you'll stand, I want to lead us in a prayer. Father God, this morning, we just want to lift you up and trust that, that you have a plan for each one of us. And Lord, that, that plan, the healing that we desire, the miracle that we want, that has already happened through the giving of Your Son. And there is no hurt. There is no disease. There is no job change. There is no uh, change uh, in locations. There's no bad news from a doctor. There is absolutely nothing that takes away from the promise that You love us, that Your Son died for us, and that one day He will call us back. And Lord, as we are struggling with the political uh, upheaval, that the, the social tensions that are taking place in this country that our response to all of that will be God is in control and we can have joy because of it. Lord, please remove the fear, the hurt, and the doubt in our hearts and replace it with joy for You and the joy that You will come for us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.